You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. All right, how we doing, FC? Good. Hey, John 15 is where we're going to be this morning. We've been going through a series for the last several months on John. So we'll be in John 15. We're going to be reading a ton of passages today. Let's pray. We'll get to work. Father, we come before you this morning, and we're just thankful for just your son Jesus and his grace, his mercy, the newness of that every single time we wake up. And God, we just ask as we open up your word now and and talk about abiding in your son, what that means. Um, God, I pray that you would just continue to, to help us love you more in all things. And even as we leave here, walking out of this place, loving you more today. Probably in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so there's going to be two parts this morning to this sermon. First, a discussion from verses 1 through 17, um, and then 18 through 27. So again, we're going to read a lot, talk through a lot, um, but, but first, talking really through being connected to the vine, who is Jesus, right? And then secondly, from 18 through 27 on being connected to the vine, again, who is Jesus, means that the world is going to hate you. So it should be fun. Um, Big idea this morning. I'm just going to throw this out there and we'll, we'll kind of use that as our trampoline. Big idea is we abide to flourish. We abide to flourish. And so let me define this, this, this word flourish for a second. So in, in general terms, like flourishing would mean to grow vigorously into maturity, right? So like we're going to grow and get older and do the things that life would bring, like get married, have kids, get jobs, get another job, move to another city, you know, raise kids into maturing adults who are good citizens, etc. Like, we're going to grow vigorously into maturity. So the Christian concept of flourishing would be that. Like, I want us to see that we are created to flourish, to grow vigorously into maturity as we follow Jesus. So there's this, this concept, really, of we are living as we are created to live. Again, living as we're created to live, attached to that, man, is... Is joy, like joy that is endless, joy that, that doesn't cease. So we're gonna live as we're created to live, flourish in that, joy flows from that. So let's get to it in verse one this morning. Let's just read two through verse six. John says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Here's really the first thing I want you to see this morning, is that we abide in Jesus to produce fruit. We abide in Christ to produce fruit. And I want to talk about this at a micro level and a macro level this morning. So kind of micro level in your life as a disciple of Jesus, and then in a macro level of what it means to abide in Christ, produce fruit, be pruned at a local church level, at a big like macro level, um, and I think, our, I think it'll be a fun conversation, um, but I want to define abide for a second for us. So 
for our purposes this morning, as we read John 15, abide simply means to have union with Christ. So it's this obedience factor, this union with him, um, not just obedience because we have to, obedience because we long for it, desire it, want it, this glad obedience, right? And so concerning this concept of abiding and producing fruit and being pruned at a, at a micro level of your own life, let's, let's talk through this for a second. As you produce fruit in your life, it proves, right, that you are a disciple of Jesus. This is James 2 stuff. Like, how do you know you're saved? Well, you're saved, you know, your salvation is evidenced through your work, right? Like, there is a, an aspect or a framework in your life where, like, you are living out your salvation, right? And, and the reality of you living it out is the reality also of fruit being produced in your life, right? So, again, James 2 stuff, our works prove our faith. Our faith is displayed by our works. Same concept here. Like I'm the vine, my father is the vine just Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that he does, he prunes, right? You may bear more fruit. Abide in me, I in you. This concept of, of abiding, right? Same concept here. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, I in him. He bears fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So there seems to me to be several things kind of taking place in these first six verses as it applies to the disciple of Jesus at a, at a really at a micro level here. And uh, verses one through two, like if you aren't bearing fruit, he takes that branch away, right? He takes this branch away. If you are bearing fruit, you will go through seasons of pruning, pruning potentially also meaning trials. And so I don't know about you, but I've been through various trials in my life and you know, I've gone through trials and I've gone through hardships and, and when I go through those things, it's hard to see this when you're in it. Right, like this, this concept of, of being pruned to then go produce more fruit because when we're in it, it seems terrible. Like when we're in it, it seems like suffering and, and oftentimes it is, right? But when I'm reading the New Testament and I read James 1, consider it pure what? Joy when we face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of our faith leads to developing perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that we may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. So there's this, there's this reality of trials also equating to maturity. And then it's our response, or it's like up to us how we respond to those trials in life. So we can respond as like, you know, shaking our fists at God, like, God, I hate you. Why are you doing this to me? Yada, yada, yada. Or we respond with joy. And so like, as I'm reading this, it's hard. And some of you or have experienced so many trials and have experienced so much pruning that you're probably even better apt to even preach the sermon than I am. But the reality is, is if, if we follow Jesus, we produce fruit, he prunes in those trials, potentially hardships, suffering, we approach it with what posture? Joy, right? Like when we read it, more often than not, we see trials attached to growth, like steadfastness, this life of being steady in Christ, pruning to bear more fruit, and also, again, joy. Again, James 1 stuff. And so, I don't know if you've ever worked on apple trees before, but full disclosure, I never have. I Googled this, is that apple trees, like most trees, right, to stay healthy need pruning. 
need branches cut off, need, need you know, things taken away to keep producing fruit. And man, I, I say this often in one way or another, but the Christian life is not just like bacon and donuts, right? Like, which, by the way, side note, would be an incredible small business idea. Like if anybody's like food truck, one item, bacon donut, just saying, it can make you a millionaire. If you need any investors or want to invest in this guy, let me know. But like the reality of, of a Christian life, right, is a pursuit of what? It's a pursuit of a king who reigns. Pursuit of the king of kings, not just a king, the Lord of lords, right? The king of the universe. And then it's fleshed out as we pursue him in two ways. Really, it's a battle, a war in our life. For godliness first, like we fight for godliness, and then it's a radical reorientation of the way we live on mission for him. And so, I mean, I, I love that every kind of November bleeding into December here at FC, we have a whole four to five weeks just on missions, because it re, really because it reminds us the centrality of the Christian faith is not about me or not about you and how God helps us with things or you know, gets us through things, though he does, right? Like cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And he is, you know, those who are heavy and burdened, come to me, I will give you rest. I mean, there's a reality of all that taking place. But the greater reality is that we are called to fight for godliness in our life and then fight to be on mission for the nations. Like that's all of the book of Acts and that's all of the New Testament kind of displayed out is that God is for his glory amongst the nations and we are to be a part of that. And so, so often we think the world revolves around us. We experience trial, suffering, and pruning, right? Verse two, our world falls apart because our view of God was built, I mean, really on a terrible foundation of him to begin with when you think about it. And the scariest part of, of this, these first six verses for me is, is verse six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch into fire and burned. And let me just say this quickly, just for the sake of time. But at Foothills Church, we don't believe you can lose your salvation. So we, t- we talked about this in base camp, Brand just talked about it in the welcome. Um, but we believe once you're saved, you're, you're always saved. And let me kind of explain it this way for the purposes of our, our text this morning. Over like the past 12 to 18 months, I don't know, year and a half, we've seen over 100 teenagers get saved at Doxa, which is awesome. The question for me, when I'm reading this text, is that are all those salvations real? You know, so when I'm answering that, I hope so. I'm praying to that end. We want to see that take place, right? But how do we know, like at the end of the day, if teenagers who respond and receive Christ, if it's not just an emotional response or get caught up in the moment type thing or whatever it is, like how do we see the genuineness of their faith or your faith? We see it over time, right? The steadfast pursuit of Jesus where then you go bear fruit, which also proves, again, it's kind of like a a capitulating cycle, your salvation. So like over time, we will know if these salvations are genuine and real, right? But we're gonna keep working and, and working harder and praying harder and preaching harder to see more. But I think what John is talking about here is that some who claim to be saved never produced fruit, if you look at other places like First Peter, would mean like those who claim to be of us really were never you know, among us. 
meaning God would prune, right? Cut off branches, throw them away. And so concerning this concept at a, at a macro level, let me, let me just talk about this for a second. So micro level, you abide in him, you're a growing disciple. We'll talk more about that in a second. But at a macro level, this is a fun conversation for me because um, I love this stuff and I think you guys will, will, will perk up to it as well. But like it or not, God prunes local churches at a macro level too. And so I don't know if you've heard of a guy named Tim Keller. He's an influential pastor at in New York City. A lot of his research has pointed to this when it comes to like stages of church growth. What I mean is like as they grow numerically, like as the church of 50 gets to 250, as a church of 250 goes to 500, as a church of 500 goes to 1,200, as a church of 1,200 grows to you know, 3,000, something like that. I mean, there's pruning that takes place here. And so for instance, he says that each stage of growth, like each numeric stage, like when a church of 50 grows to 250 or a church of 250 to 500, 500 to 1,000, pruning takes place. And uh, let me just tell you, like this has been true for each stage of growth here at Foothills Church and I've been here since pretty much from the beginning, and um, I mean, I remember when we had 50 students, or not 50 students, back to student ministry, 50 um, people meeting at Maryville Christian School back when we were Grace Church of the Foothills. So glad we changed our name, by the way. And like, I remember the first time we broke 100. You know, like I remember that. And then I remember the, the, the time we, we bought this building and moved in, and like 200, 250 people, and there were people who weren't behind the vision and, and left, you know, which is okay. There were people who, you know, when we went from one service to two services or, you know, two services to three services or when we cast vision for invest to, to buy land, build a, a, you know, a building so that we have kids space and parking and all the things that we barely have enough of right now, um, you know, people aren't behind and, and they leave and that's, that's okay. So what I, what I want you to see is that each stage of growth, people leave, and there are several reasons for this. People who like churches of 250, um, they love the intimacy kind of of this organic approach to community or the access they have to their pastors. Um, when the church grows to 500, that intimacy level begins to be threatened. Not, not as much access to pastors kind of in that way. Um, people might leave because of this, right? They want a different type of access to pastors. That's okay. People like churches of 500 people and kind of five to seven full-time staff members and, um, you know, the community-driven events that churches of, you know, three to 500 are, are kind of drawn to, outreach, outreach, outreach in the city type stuff, uh, still feels small enough, even though it's growing, I, I still kind of know everybody because we're in one service, maybe two services kind of thing. When that church grows to over 1,000, which is where Foothills is now, um, they might get overwhelmed to new processes, procedures, strategies, stuff. And that's okay, right? That's okay. So at this level, kind of a 500-ish to 1,000, um, pastoral accessibility is different than it was at five, you know? Um, levels of, of leadership, just like your organization begin to take place where it's more of a, you know, pastors and then another level of organization when it comes to structure and then another level, and then maybe admin help. Man, I know, I know churches of like 250 full-time staff members where it's like, it's crazy. Some people love that. Some people hate it. Weaknesses and strengths attached to both. Like if you want to email like that pastor, 
you email him, it goes to his assistant's assistant. You know, it's like the assistant's assistant then kind of decides if it's even worth for his assistant to reply to type stuff, you know? So it's just a, a different world. Some people love it, right? Some people love the, the realities of more intimate, driven, community-driven, smaller dynamics type churches, and that's okay. So at, at this level, high level of accountability, right? There has to be or things begin to fall apart. And you know what? Like people love churches of 500. People love churches of 1,200. People love churches of something even bigger. People love churches of 50 to 100. And that's okay. But here's where this breaks down. In healthy pruning, how I'm defining it, looks more like conflict and tension. Um, this breaks down when people who like 250 to 500 person churches leave their church when it's now 1,200-ish or so, or it's growing for what they might call like health issues or staff issues or soil issues, uh, leadership issues, those types of things. And here's several points that I, I kind of want to make for a second. People who like smaller churches will leave when the church grows. Like we don't want that to take place, but that's okay, right? Like, that's okay. But don't disguise it under the issue of like they're all about numbers and nothing else, right? Like some churches might have a celebration posture where they do celebrate life change and salvations and baptisms. That's okay. People who, who, who like minimal processes and strategies and campaigns potentially will leave a growing church when another campaign happens. Campaign for another building, campaign for a campus, campaign for a church plant, right? Like bigger, 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 go, 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 go type stuff. Um, but it might be masked under they only care about, you know, growing bigger and processes and strategies. They don't care about people. Let me give you one more because I think it's fun. People who like smaller churches will leave, again, when the church grows. And again, that's fine, but don't leave under the disguise of I don't have any access to our, our pastors, right? Because they just sit on their ivory towers all day or whatever, I mean, remember, God prunes local churches, and that is okay, right? Like, go, and, and the reality of, of what, you know, Foothills is about, like, we're gonna continue to, to move forward and develop disciples in relational environments, and to sum this up, God prunes those who are attached to him at both micro and macro levels. And at both levels, we and you are gonna to abide to flourish, right? We're gonna continue abiding, continue producing fruit, continue to see weaknesses and strengths and continue to, you know, to, to see people and things like sin or conflict or tension in our own lives pruned away because we're after the king, right? That's the ultimate goal, like the only sinless person who has ever lived, ever. That's who we're after, but pruning in sinners' lives takes place all the time. At both levels, we abide to what? Flourish. That's what we're after. Here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. We abide in Jesus to glorify God. Let's read verses six again and all the way to eight. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. 
Then verse eight says, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and then prove to be my disciples. And so there could be some potential misunderstanding like with the verse seven, like whatever you ask, you know, will be given to you talk. And so kind of just a quick teaching moment, like this does not mean that whatever you ask God will give you, right? Like we talked about last week, we're not prosperity driven Christians, we are Jesus driven Christians, right? And so when it comes to, to this, um, I think there's, there's something else that's taking place. Like this doesn't mean that whatever we ask God for, if we have enough faith, he's, he's, he's gonna give it to us. You know, like please God, give me my new 2016 F250 extended cab, turbo, diesel, alpine, you know, gear shaft, camo colored piece of heaven. I just said every truck word I knew. <laughs> and probably there weren't even anything about trucks. But like, kind of put it in my nomenclature, I guess, would be like, please God, you know, let LeBron average 30, 12, and 10 so I can beat Pastor Landon in NBA fantasy, right? So like, we, but like, as silly as that is, we often view prayers and God's work in our life through that lens, don't we? Like we, we and, and I think when we see this, it, let me put it in, in kind of this terminology again, like not prosperity-driven Christians, not like, you know, even purpose-driven Christians for our purposes in the world, but Jesus-driven Christians. So when I read this passage, like, you know, in, in verse seven, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So therefore, like, whatever you do, whatever you ask for should be used to glorify the Father, basically, right? So, like, in other words, Ask for whatever you need in order to bear fruit, in order to go out and bear fruit. Like if you need more strength to live for Christ in your workplace, that's what I'm talking about here. Go out and again, fight for godliness, be on mission, flourish, right? Live as you are called to live, joy attached to that living. And if you pray prayers like that, be careful, scary prayers, God will answer. Strength, courage attached to those things, right? As you ask, do whatever, ask for whatever in order to bear fruit, God will give to you so that you can go and give more and more and more and more glory to the Father. The third thing is this, we, we abide in Jesus to have joy. We abide in Christ to have joy. Verses nine and following says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in me. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my, my joy may be in you and that your joy, what, may be full. And so as you abide in Christ, the, the one who first fully abided in the Father, right? Like fully abided sinless life, no sin attached to his life, both fully God, Fully man took our sin to the cross, rose from the dead. Full obedience, right? Glad obedience from Jesus. As we abide in him who first abided in the Father, those things lead to joy, right? They lead to joy. Here's the apex of this thought, though, is that you will experience joy not just when fruit in your life is happening, like, you know, like a growing marriage or incredible kids who are all Eagle Scouts and Dean's List, you know, kids, or you have secure jobs and, nice bank accounts and, you know, 
everything else that, that life would bring that you could just kind of check off a happy life in America, but you will experience joy, get this, even in the pruning, even in the pruning, when you face trials of many kinds, right, it will lead you into joy. So your church, your circumstances do not determine your joy or even the amount of joy that you have, right? Like as you abide in Christ, that's the only promise that we have is great joy will also be there. Like as you abide in Christ and produce fruit, experience pruning, issues will come into your life. You may lose things, lose people. And as you do, again, some of you have, I've talked to so many of you, who, again, are more apt to, to preach this concept even than me, but the reality is that joy still lies there because your root of your joy is in what? In Christ alone. Right? Not, nothing earthly, nothing temporary, nothing materialistic, no possession, no person other than Jesus, who is the object of our joy, right? And, and the soil where we root into, where joy then is displayed in how we produce fruit, even in the pruning, even in the pruning. Again, James 1, consider it what? Pure joy, right? When you face trials of many kinds. The fourth thing I want you to see is we abide in Jesus to love one another. We abide in Christ to love one another. Verse 12 says this, this is my command that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do, no longer do I call you servants, for the servants does, does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should also abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. And these things I command you, so that you will love one another. Here's the point of this. If I'm going to genuinely love you, if I'm gonna genuinely love you, and it's not this like manufactured fakeness, you know, but it's joy and love rooted deep in Christ, I have to first abide in Christ and then go do work, right? Like, like, I just can't just wake up and then just throw on the hat of loving people. You can't either. Like, our love for Jesus bleeds out in how we live, and it bleeds out into how we treat others and, our, you know, treat our spouses, treat our children, treat our coworkers, treat our neighbors, etc. And what does this work, man? It's loving one another, right? So anything that is the opposite of loving each other is not from Christ, not from Christ. It could be disguised and masked under the love of Christ, but if there is like unhealthy things, slander, gossip, whatever, just manufactured fakeness in relationships, that should worry you. Not from Christ. The opposite. We abide in Christ, produce healthy fruit. Those things are the opposite of abiding in someone who then you know, brings out healthy fruit-giving work in your life. Abide in Christ, produce fruit, experience joy, even in pruning, to then go love other people. 
Love for Jesus leads us to love others. So let me just kind of illustrate this way for a second. Um, just this week, it was a crazy week in the Gibson household. So we had, man, we had, uh, golly, after Doxa on Wednesday, we had like, you know, 15, 20 college students over. Friday night we had the October Dominican team over for like a final debrief in our home. Last night we had a bunch of people over, kind of booked in, you know, a bunch of families, little kids running around. Book in Sundays with high school small groups. Um, I mean, just this week we had over 75 people in our home, like hosted in our home. I mean, it was exhausting. Like I thrive there a little bit. My wife is kind of doesn't. You know, she's, she's like the gift of hospitableness and, um, you know, just, just hospitality of, just oozes out of her. But what I mean by that is like I thrive in chaos and, you know, when the summer hits and routines go away, like I get into funk and it's like, you know, like we went to the beach for the first time in five years and uh, it was reminded me like why I don't go to the beach because I was like, man, this is gonna be awesome. You know, like I like, planned my whole experience and went by like this massive chair and had my snacks and my drinks and everything else and I get there and it's like five minutes in, I'm like, babe, I'm going to rent some jet skis. You know, it's like, that's me. You know, it's like preach three sermons, go home, do a thousand burpees, maybe wake up, write something, you know, and like the winter hits when it's cold outside, I'm just like pacing around my house, like trying to figure out something to do. That's me. Don't sit still. Keep going. Endless energy, you know? And then, like, that's my kids too. Like, Cora and Ivor are both that way. Um, but, like, the reality of, of this is, like, I'm not, I'm not tooting my horn. I'm really tooting Grace's horn, you know, because of, of her gift set. But, like, our love for Christ genuinely wants those things to happen in our home. Like we want friends and family and neighbors to see our home as a place where they feel loved, right? And invited into and community happens in that way. I mean, it's hard work, exhausting work, tired work. We even have more high schoolers coming over tonight. But we are called to love, right? And like if, if this week looks like last week, it probably won't you know, be healthy. Like Grace and I would probably be in Pastor Trent's office for a counseling session. Um, but like through seasons, we're gonna go and we're gonna work and we're gonna love people. And if we do that out of our own flesh, it's gonna be draining and exhausting. And it's gonna be manufactured. It's gonna be fake. It's not gonna be authentic. But if you abide in Christ, right, abide in him, then produce fruit to go love others. So the question is, is how are you doing that, Right? This is discipleship, this is mission, this is what we are called to as believers. As we abide in Christ, we experience flourishing even as we love other people. Here's the fifth thing I want you to see, is because you abide in Christ, the world will hate you. As you abide in Christ, the world will hate you. Let me read verses 18 through 27, I'm gonna read it quickly. It says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world also hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates my father also, right, hates me. If I had, done, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, 
they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. And verse 26, really through 27, is just kind of a, the, almost a, you know, a foreshadowing prophecy of when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2, Peter preaches the first sermon in the history of the church, thousands of people are saved. He says, but when the helper comes, who is the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And so if you are a believer in Christ, let me just encourage you with all the genuine encouragement that I could just give you this morning. The world will hate you, right? The world will hate you. As you leave here and go live for him, like the world will notice and hate you. Jesus says the father, right? The world hates me, hates the father. It will hate you because it sees me in you. So like you actually have to be producing fruit for the world also to hate you. Does that make sense? Like if you just go and live and you're just kind of nominal and you know there's just, it's just kind of lukewarm Christianity and you don't feel much conflict and tension or persecution from your life. I mean that should be evidence right here. Like how are you leaving, walking, producing fruit, being pruned, finding joy in that, loving others and then the world kind of coming alongside and being like, man, that's a follower of Jesus. We also hate that person, right? And so let me just kind of illustrate it this way. Um, just this week I posted something on social media about the Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce Jenner thing. And like, let me just say this right off the bat. Like the last time I preached, I also mentioned this. I'm not, let me just say, I'm not weirdly obsessed with this story. It just happened again this week. So like I just had to say something just because who I am. So I posted something on social media about it and it just got blasted, you know, and like hundreds of comments, people I don't even know and, you know, profanity and things like that. And I don't respond to any of that. This stuff used to bother me and just, I honestly don't even read it now. But the reality of, of this is like, this, you know, she got woman of the year by some magazine. And uh, again, posting it on, like almost on this platform was a great reminder, you know, like, the reality of like, was that smart is a whole nother discussion, you know, like. Um, it's kind of like walking into a lion's cage with like lions who haven't eaten in like a month thinking you're just gonna cuddle with them and eat bacon donuts or something, you know. Like it's just, it's dumb. We just call it what it is. But I went there, blasted. But like the, the point remains is like because you love Jesus, and if you live it out, the world will hate you. There is no other terminology. We can't church it up. We can't like, you know, have some type of, you know, just political nomenclature attached to that. The world will hate Christians. Therefore, like, stop trying to make it like you. Go live for Christ, be a light, and, you know, be on mission to kill sin, clothe yourself with godliness, and take the gospel to the nations. Then when we see Christianity through the, the, the macro lens of what it is, God is after his glory in the nations, then our lives really get put on, you know, almost like a fine dot, like a speck, like a grain of sand compared to eternity and all of history 
of what God is doing, but yet we live through this lens where everything is important now, 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 right? Because you abide in Christ, the world will hate you. And so how do we take this and just kind of go and live it out? Let me give you just two quick, simple application points that are really just foundational. The first one is this, watch your spiritual rhythms closely. Watch your spiritual rhythms closely. In other words, like don't be reactionary over your spiritual life. So, so many of us run to church and we need our problems fixed. Like my marriage isn't going well, I'm going back to church, please God fix it, right? Like my children are little hellions, I'm running back to church, please God fix them. Like I can't pay my bills, I'm going back to church, please God help me. Although a good place to start, right? Wrong posture in which to live in the first place. Take ownership over daily, weekly, spiritual rhythms, what I like to call spiritual disciplines. Um, what, is, what does that look like for you? You know, I mean, this, if you're coming in here and your entire feast of what Christianity looks like in your life is just a guy who explains the scriptures to you and then you go and live your life and then come back and it happens again, that's not gonna be satisfactory or sufficient enough for a life that's producing fruit in a world that hates you. Like you have to have spiritual rhythms. You have to have like consistent times where you're in God's word and, and praying and leading your family in this way or in small group, around community, which we'll, we'll talk about in a second. Like what does your devotional life look like? Are you actively growing in your love and knowledge of scripture or are you just depending upon someone to explain it to you? Like, how are you growing in this area? This is, found, this is a kind of a foundational framework for what it means to abide in Christ, to have union with him when you're actually walking in obedience to him. And it starts just by like, knowing your spiritual rhythms. You know, like, know your thought life. Know, your, know your, kind of the state of your heart through your week. Like, are you prone to anger during certain points? And is it because you haven't been connected to the vine and there's no fruit being produced in your life or you know is there tension in your marriage in this way and you're not talking about it and it's never brought up and you know like what is it know your rhythms know your rhythms know your thought rhythms most importantly how that bleeds into your spiritual rhythms and secondly is this is pursue healthy christian community at fc we do small groups if you're not in one get in one if you're too busy cut some things out in your life, it's that important. Like if you're an introvert and don't like relational environments, I don't know, just, I guess just get over it, right? Because it's, it's that important, right? It's that important. Like if, you're, if your kids play Little League every single night of the week, don't do it on one night and get in small group. It's that important. And so for me, like notice I use the word healthy community here, like healthy the reality of Christian community is that sometimes it can be masked under the, this, this framework or you know, concept of Christian community. Let me say it this way, you can pursue community disguised under the title of something being healthy, tricked into thinking that it's healthy. Get around people who encourage you, be honest with you, be real with you, and then when you go through seasons of pruning in your life and it's a trial, they bear that with you and it almost becomes a part of their reality as well. Like that's the kind of friends that I want in my life. That's the kind of friend that I want to be to somebody, right? Not just a pastor who preaches about these things, but the reality of this fleshed out in our life. It's like we're gonna love people 
We're gonna love one another because we're abiding in Christ. And when we're in Christian community, when we see people being pruned, we're gonna walk alongside them and fight for them. And then that reality becomes a reality in our life. It's like, man, this person is experiencing a trial because, you know, so am I because of what they're going through. This is bearing one another's burdens concept. Get around people who love you enough to be real with you, encourage you in your walk with Jesus. And, and uh, let me just kind of just, just land the plane here. And um, In March, Grace and I bought 12 Leland Cypresses to kind of make a barrier for you know, our neighbor's house. We love our neighbors, not because we don't love them, but just the reality of a little bit of privacy. And uh, it's like we bought this huge playset and it took me like 27 hours to put together. Those things are like the, from the fifth dimension of hell, you know, it's terrible. If you've ever put one of those together, which has nothing to do with my, my point at all. But the reality of, of these trees is that all 12 but one, so really 11 of them like were healthy. One of them turned brown and, you know, yellow. And, and let me just explain it to you in just a like middle school sermon illustration for a second. I have a dog named Hilo. Hilo's an awesome dog. We let him out like three to five times a day without a leash, right? He never runs away. He's that kind of dog, but, you know, sometimes he runs away from grace. Just, I guess, not authoritative enough or something. Um, but the reality of, of this is, like, he would go outside and, and pee on one of those bushes, right? Three to five times a day. What happened to that bush? Died. Right, taking it back to Lowe's, putting a whole nother one in, right? And so silly, stupid, dumb illustration, but the reality of its, you know, of kind of the, how, how it relates is so important, man. Like how you, you know, what you pursue, what you abide in will lead you to flourish or it will lead you the opposite way. Like as you abide in Christ, you will produce fruit. If you don't abide in Christ, you won't produce fruit. Like if you don't abide in Christ, you walk out into the world, the world will not notice. But if you want to be on mission for him and you want to flourish, so living as you were created to live, joy, immense joy attached to that posture of life. Abide in Christ, watch your spiritual rhythms, get around God's people, have an active, growing, vibrant relationship with him that fleshes out into how you live all of life, not just Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night stuff. And so as we abide in him, we will flourish. As we abide in Christ, we what? Flourish. So let us pursue Christ with a fearlessness, a courage, a humility, knowing he's at work in our life, our kids' lives, our marriages. He is allowing us to produce fruit. He's pruning at certain seasons. And when he prunes, he is allowing us to go and bear more and more and more and more fruit for whose glory? God's glory, not our glory. Let's pray to that end this morning. Father, we are thankful for your son, Jesus. And as we open up your word and just see how followers of you are are called to abide in you, produce fruit, God, I pray that this is something that we, we do take to heart, it doesn't fall on deaf ears, but it, it pierces our hearts. And that we do leave thinking through how we can best love you even more, like in our own lives, as we parent, as we pursue our spouses, as we pursue life, as we think through budget, as we think through giving, 
as we think through schedules and vacations, mission, how can we abide in you in all of life? And let us be fearless when we walk out into a world that sees that and hates us. Let us clothe ourselves in your spirit. Give us your helper constantly to go and live for you, do big things for you, be courageous and bold for you in all things. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.